Welcome back to Your Tech Report. Follow along with us on Twitter, please. It is at Your Tech Report, Facebook.com slash Your Tech Report. Mitchell, don't forget our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Your Tech Report. And boy, am I excited for this next interview because it's been months in the making of me trying to connect with this individual. And finally, the moment has come. Well, it's it's not just, it's not just the excitement of this particular interview. Of course, we're excited to speak to Karim. But the just bigger picture, we've been talking about virtual reality, augmented reality as something that excites us, not for what's here right now. Everyone can look at the applications that are being used now, and I think gaming is the biggest application people think of, but it, it is so much more than that. And and there was a great virtual reality convention that happened in Canada, the world's largest in Canada. So we know we're not, we're not the only ones that are excited about this. The fact that we're getting these big conferences and expos talking about specifically dedicated to virtual reality, and we're going to be talking to you right now, the founder and the executive director. Now, what is it? Virto? The pronunciation Virto, is that how we refer to it, Karen? It's VRTO. No, VRTO. Yeah, that's what I thought. See, see, I like. See, I'm already making an acronym for it. That's how excited I am about it. So we're talking. We're talking to the executive director, Karen Maliki Sanchez. Karen, thank you for doing this with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for giving airtime to a emerging industry that needs support. Oh, you know, we, we can, it's not even a question for us. So when it comes to you know, whether it be virtual reality or I think augmented reality kind of excites us a, a little bit more than VR at this point. I mean, we, we, would, we dive headfirst into this topic. So when I, when I saw this press release and I heard about VRTO, I'm like, okay, you know, this has been around for we're probably, what, three, four years that we've been hearing about VR and that we've seen, like, commercialization of these headsets. Uh, at what point did you start getting involved? Because you've turned this into, obviously, uh, uh, almost a career. Right. Well, for me, it goes back about 25 years to when I first saw Jaron Lanier speak at the University of Toronto. And, you know, he's the guy that coined the term virtual reality uh, back when he was working at Atari's research and JPL. Um, I'm not sure exactly when it was, whether it was when he was at JPL or Atari research, but it was in the early 80s. Uh, he was one of the inventors of the power glove, the Nintendo power glove. What I remember oh, glove, yes. Anyway, and he was really, you know, he's like this uh, heavy set, uh, dreadlocked San Francisco type that likes to play ancient wind instruments that he collects. <laughs> and uh, he really impressed me because it, when he did a concert that didn't start off in virtual reality, he played the piano for like an hour, but in the weirdest way imaginable. It was as if it was just channeling from another planet. And then he put on the power, flew via his headset into this comet in outer space and started wrangling with this AI instrument called the CyberSax. And it kind of would fight back with him. And he showed us how you play an AI instrument. So, that's a quarter of a century ago, and obviously it left a lifelong impression on me. Um, and I took a lot of things away from that. One of my favorite books was a book that he name-dropped at that um, talk called Finite and Infinite Games. I recommend anybody read it. It's not about VR at all, but it's about the relationship we have to machines and how when you operate machines, you start to have to operate operate like the machine because it can only... Um, you can only do what it can, what its limits are, um, and of course that means we leverage technology to become more powerful than we actually are. In some cases, we become sort of cyborg-like. So, um, VR is a thing that we leverage to enhance our abilities, and of course AR is as well. 
Well, in 2013, when the myth of Palmer Lucky, this kid in Long Beach, you know, decided to retake up the the challenge to make VR again and got this Kickstarter campaign and it raised $2.5 million and then a year later it sold for $2.5 billion to Facebook. I was given access to the Oculus Rift, DK1, the first developer kit, and we reviewed it on my game review site, IndieGameReviewer.com, which we'd been running for about eight or nine years. And we were so blown away by this crappy 640 <laughs> by 480 per eye resolution demo of you know going on a roller coaster um we 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 videotaped the whole thing of me and my crew and my 90 year old grandfather all trying out this vr roller coaster and posted it on youtube and it's this 20 minute video and it's some of us like having our first real-time vr experience and just having our minds completely blown um, so about a year after that, I went to the NAB conference, the National Association of Broadcasters Conference in Vegas, which had pivoted substantially and dramatically from broadcast interest to um, streaming and Internet technology. Yeah. yeah, like everything that's like over the top, you know, cut, cable cutting, uh, cloud based stuff, IOT, AI, all of these acronyms. And I. If they're starting to talk about VR, where these guys that used to traditionally be about like local news broadcasts, I better jump in now. So I came, I came back to Toronto and I started a meetup um, right at the beginning of 2015. I always knew that it was going to become a conference, but I needed to kind of build community uh, around it and understand what was going on, who the players were, and I live half the year in Los Angeles. Well, I, I actually live in Los Angeles and I come back to Toronto for the summers. So what I was doing was going into the LA community, the so-called Silicon beach that developed there and just, you know, convincing those people to come and check out the other coast. So VRTO really is this cross um, coastal or bi-coastal meeting of the two different ecosystems, um, where where people that are coming out of you know the Bay Area and Silicon Valley and Hollywood are meeting with these companies that are developing and gestating out of Montreal and Toronto and Chicago and New York, um, and it's really interesting how different they really can be. So when they meet, it's like this flash of light that goes off, and and so that's what VRTO is and how I got into it. So how was the actual expo? I mean, obviously we got you got a lot of people. Out this year, what was the overall reaction? Are people jazzed about it? Uh, you know, the buzz was great. Yeah, people really like VRTO because we are not a traditional conference um, in a lot of ways. Um, in some ways, we're we're more literally a conference than a lot of them are. Uh, we tried to well, first of all, we had a hundred speakers, um, so people kind of had this, you know, feedback card, like too many speakers in too few days. But I said, there's really a lot of different things across the spectrum to talk about. You know, we have health sectors where you're talking about the future of, of virtual psychologists and how to treat PTSD and anxiety and all of that. Um, to you know, young developers, we had a 
a 13-year-old kid who sent us an entire PowerPoint presentation so he could get access to the show because he's an augmented reality developer. Um, we had people come in from Rhode Island Institute of Technology that were showing some of the most powerful 360-degree video stories about immigrants or about refugees or about, um, you know, camping trips, whatever you could imagine. And then we had holographic technology, lenticular displays, 8K projection maps, spherical domes that you can install in two hours. It's just this, it's like, um, you can't really call it a virtual reality or augmented reality thing because it really is, it's like the singularity, you know, coming towards us with internet of things and with um, voice activated and voice controlled uh, technologies. Um, the haptics, the multimodal, the somatosensory things where you, you know, you've got like weather, mid-air haptic weather systems that like sun lamps that will track you and emit mist or, or like a finger uh, clamp that will add heat and vibration to every finger inside of a VR experience. It's kind of crazy how all sectors are suddenly rising at this incredibly fast pace. Karen, let me ask you this, because you kind of naturally led me into this question. And you, you know, when we talked about this at the beginning, we talked about the excitement uh, about VR and augmented reality and how right now, I think most people, if you ask the average consumer about either augmented or virtual reality, they're, they probably would come back originally to gaming. That is how most people, that was sort of the, the entry point for a lot of people into the world of VR and augmented reality. But Talk about the transition that you've seen in the last few years, because for us, the yeah, gaming is exciting, but it's not as exciting as what there is in terms of education, as what there is in terms of travel. There are so many ways to apply virtual reality that have nothing to do with gaming. Talk a little bit about the transition that you've seen over the last few years, how people are finding different ways to use these different reality perceptions in different walks of life that are not gaming. Right. Okay. Um, well... Let me just give you a short list. Uh, real estate, tourism, uh, visualization for training and simulation, uh, uh, architecture and design. You can go into experiences now that have CAD level fidelity and design rocket ships and cars uh, and then export the three-dimensional object that you create at scale out into whatever program that you use to 3D print it. Um, it's quite a different thing to be inside of the world where you're creating the object versus sitting at a computer and trying to manipulate it with a keyboard and a mouse with the shape of a bar of soap. When you can actually reach out in front of you and pull the nodes out and push them and move and walk through them, it's a completely different relationship to the data. So that, again, the data visualization, looking at things in scale, understanding the difference between rice exports from China in 2015 versus 2017 and looking up at it as it's a towering, you know, piece of the graph chart. Um, obviously, again, in, in uh, the health sector, you can put a child through their operation that they're getting their scary operation, you know, five times before they actually do it so that every step of the way they're familiar with the process already. Uh, this week, KFC put out a, 
a KFC cook simulator. So you're, you know, they call it the nightmare VR experience. You're holding like these raw pieces of chicken and there's like Colonel Sanders staring at you. Um, everything you can imagine will be touched in some way or could be touched in some way by VR, uh, let alone AR. But for, but for the present, you're already using VR for so many different things. Um, muscle training, you know, like uh, muscle memory, like to, to do an, an event in VR fools the mind into believing that it's actually happening experientially. You're basically tricking the brain into thinking that it's in that space um, for reasons we won't necessarily have time to get into. But every sector is going to be touched by VR in some way. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a few and far between experiences where we look at it and go, oh my God, I can see where this, uh, you know, where there's an AR application for this or, or a VR application for this. Um, Karen, t- tell me, what are you working on now? Because you're working on something very cool, but kind of uh, brings everything together, isn't it? Sure. So the Five R's Festival actually was the first thing that we did. We launched Five R's in 2015 uh, before the first VRTO conference. VIVAR stands for the Festival of International Virtual and Augmented Reality Stories. So while there are a lot of uh, new VR so-called film festivals popping up, you might see them at Sundance and Tribeca um, and around the world. Uh, And now they're at Cannes and all these other festivals, Venice. Um, VIVAR's focuses specifically on stories. And I don't say storytelling because storytelling is once upon a time stuff happened, you know, and they lived happily ever after. Stories are where you're using the medium as the medium itself to get a sense of a narrative, a time and place. And with virtual reality and augmented reality, you can sort of break away from linear time. You don't need to have this first this and then that kind of effect because in VR, you're inside of a space. You can get cues from the environment itself to say, oh, wow, like there's, uh, um, you know, hats and shoes and stuff on that side of the room. And on this side of the room, there's an empty table and a gun and a wig. And you can move around the environment and look under the table and stand on the table and get more details as you do so, which you cannot do with a film. So we are exploring with five R's new ways in which stories can be told. It's it's sort of like a space between traditional gaming and first-person shooters, I guess, and uh, cinematic narrative. But the main criteria to be welcomed into the five R's festival is: Does your project introduce? a unique mechanic of some kind. Like, what is it doing that nobody else has done before? How do you move around in the experience? How does it um, use photogrammetry and holographic volumetric capture of characters to change your relationship between you and the characters and personal space? Anyway, so we got 220 submissions this year, and we chose 30 of them, and we'll be showing them in Toronto from September 15th to the 17th at the House of VR. So I really hope that people get a chance to come and check it out because a lot of these are world premieres, exclusives, uh, prototypes, works in progress, 
And it's a place where you can actually meet the people that are so far ahead of the game that they've already released uh, products in this medium that are impressing people. Karen, where can I where can I direct our listeners to go to? Is there a website they can find out more? Yes, they can go to virtualreality.to and 5rs.net. That's f i v a r s dot n e t. And what are the dates again? Sorry for the uh, for the uh, the term. Yeah, that's uh, September fifteenth to the seventeenth, and we do VRTO every year. Uh, from at the uh, the third week of June. Very cool. Well, I'm going to try to get out to the uh, to those dates in Toronto. I might be there, so I'm going to try and spring that. Thank thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's very cool to see um, how people are using VR in very different ways, and especially someone who's been in this game for so long. Um, you're obviously ahead of the game and bringing people together. It's really really cool. Thank you again for your time. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.